my name is Scott, and I'm one of the pastors uh, with For the City Church, and um, I'm not going to do a lengthy introduction because I do know all of you, and um, some of you I know much better. I got to do this whole thing here, sorry, and it's still going to move. You know why? Because it's not on carpet. I feel like it's like Professor X. Does anybody, are you familiar with like X-Men? Yeah, if I had like a little motorized wheelchair, that's what this would look like, right? That's what it feels like. And by the way, it's good to hear you laugh because sometimes we, we gather as a church and we think laughter, no, right? Square and this, yes. Um, but, but the Bible actually knows no such thing. Believe this, Jesus laughed. He did. Laughter is a gift. It's a gift from God. And so his people uh, ought to be full of joy. Now, joy, I don't mean in a silly sense, right? But, but in a sense where we don't take ourselves so seriously. And uh, the temptation to do that on our first gathering in a public service could be high. Like, we got to get serious. Um, we're serious about Jesus, and we're not so serious about ourselves. Right? Because I've been to churches where, honestly... If I had to guess, they're not that serious about Jesus, but they're really serious about themselves. And that's about as fun as jumping into a wood chipper. Um, and so we, do, we don't want that. We really don't want that. We don't want there to be a sacred and secular divide for our people. We want people who, you worship Jesus on Monday, and the way that you interact with your barista is the way that you would interact with people on a Sunday morning right? Um, that everything you do, if you are a follower of Christ, is sacred, right? There's not this holy moment where, hey, I'm praying, and that's serious, but I'm interacting with someone made in God's, you know, image, and that's not serious. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, you'll know my disciples by the way they love one another, and so love's the mark, right? So uh, for those, you, I'm not going to give you a big story because you already know it, but January, we began meeting in my home, which for the folks that moved here was, was definitely different uh, because we went from, some of us went from big church. Kevin used to pastor a church in Catanning. It was much bigger. Um, I pastored a church in Indiana. It wasn't big as Catanning, but it looks like a mega church compared to this. And so, or especially compared to our gathering that we had at our home. And so it was weird. It took us weeks to get a rhythm right? Because you had, I have a dog named Jasmine, and she likes to scratch her behind on the carpet, right? And that's just what she does. And so we're trying to sing and pay attention to the Word of God. And, and you know, you're in a living room. It's weird. People are getting up. They're walking right between me and the people I'm teaching to go use the restroom and to do this. And now you smell the stew that's cooking on the stove because we're going to eat together afterwards. And the whole thing becomes very distracting. But then after three or four weeks, like, this was our new norm. And we loved it. We loved it. And then, uh, by God's grace, we had other people join us. And that was exciting because it didn't take long before it felt like you were, your church is growing because you started with like a handful of people. And if you gather a handful more, you've doubled, right? And we did that. Um, or I should say God did that. And, and it was a joy. And, and we loved being at our house, quite honestly. And, and if Jesus had not given us the mandate and the great commission to go make disciples of everywhere, maybe that's where we would stay because I loved it. I loved being able just to wake up, come downstairs, and enjoy the word with God's people. But he did tell us to go and make disciples. He did tell us to go and share the good news with everyone. And so in order for that to happen, you have to get outside of your living room or have more living rooms. There's ways to do that. You could do a home church movement, and there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. Um, but then he supplied this space for us. And so we're happy to be here. This is our first Sunday, and it might feel awkward. We don't have Jasmine. She's the church's mascot. Uh, not really. We don't have a mascot. Uh, we worship Jesus, right? And so Jasmine's at home. She's missing the singing, but she's probably snoring on the couch, which is what she would do in about five minutes after me talking. Hopefully that doesn't happen to you. But if it does, grace be upon you. Um, get more sleep the next week. But... With that being said, I want you guys all to just like relax and enjoy the Word of God, um, right? And, and in a few weeks, God willing, this will feel like home to us too, right? We'll hit a rhythm. We'll hit a, a stride where, where showing up here isn't as clunky, right? Everybody's kind of amped up today because we, we wanted to make sure that we were ready to serve the people that were coming in to gather, that we were ready to love the people. And we'd never done all this before. By the way, church, family, you, you all just... 
the way you guys serve is beautiful. And I know we have people here who are not part of For the City. Some of you are not part of For the City yet. We're glad you're here. We hope that if you don't have a church home, that you would consider For the City as a church that you might consider, right? If you do have a church home, thanks for coming and worshiping with us. And, and when Kevin said we don't want your money, I love that, by the way. See, distractions will still happen here. I love it. It's all good. It's all good. When, when he said, I love that, because we want the burden to be on the church, not the people who come visit us, and not from the church of people who come to visit, although I do know that we have a few people here who have supported us from day one, and I'm thankful for you. Um, the Lord has provided many people who graciously had given towards our efforts. Otherwise, you wouldn't have any of this, and we could still do church without all of this. Make no mistake about it. We've been doing it, um, but I'm thankful for the people who have given. Um, so that's a little introduction. Who is for the city? We've done work to make sure you know, right? So here you see our mission. We, we live as a church. The reason why we exist is to magnify Jesus, first and foremost. That's, that's why this church exists, to make Jesus more famous in Greensburg or anywhere our church goes than he currently is now, right? That's our aim. You don't make him more great. He's great. But we want to bring his greatness into view to the people that we come in contact with. The way we want to do that is by making disciples, specifically those disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel, right? And, and they then make disciples who do the same. And if you do that long enough, guess what will happen? You'll plant a church. But you won't just plant a church. You'll plant a church that multiplies. And, and when I say multiplies, I mean you ought to have other churches that are autonomous, that really have no connection to you other than they were birthed out of your church. So this is why we exist. We want to magnify Christ in everything we do, in whether it's eating ice cream, singing, preaching, teaching, loving, whatever that is, that's our aim. We want to do that by making disciples, and we think if we do that, and, and the Lord, He has to bless it. Because if he doesn't bless it, you could labor all day and, and, and you won't build anything. Only the Lord builds his house. And Jesus has promised to build his church. And so we're banking on that promise. And, um, and so that's who we are. There's more to it. Our values, uh, we, we want to love Jesus. They're really simple. By the way, we ripped all this off the Bible. So none of this is original. And, and if you're going to be a church, you want to rip things off the Bible. You know what I mean? You don't want to be like coming up with original things. Like, I got a new word. No, we have a timely word, and it's perfect time for it. We want to love Jesus. That's how we magnify Christ. We want to love the church. That's how we magnify Christ. We want to love the world. When we say the world, we don't mean save planet Earth. Um, although that might be a good endeavor. Uh, the two offices on the end are keep PA beautiful. They're doing great. I've looked around. It's still beautiful, right? And uh, there's spots that aren't beautiful. Like, I'm glad you laughed. Like, everybody's like, is that funny? I don't know. Um, I thought it was, but if I'm the only one, that's okay. When we say world... When the Bible uses the word world, it means many different things. It means the terrestrial globe, but really what it primarily means is those who are outside of Christ. And so our neighbors who don't know Jesus, maybe you could say it that way. Who's our neighbor? Everyone, right? And so that's why we exist. That's what we want to do. So in case you've not uh, figured it out, we're going to be in the book of Galatians, right? And um, by the way, Great job, Ryan, reading chapter one. The reason I had him read all of chapter one is because we're only going to look at five verses this morning. And to, to really understand the Bible, you've got to stay in context of the Bible. You need to read before, you need to read after, you need to understand what's happening. Otherwise, you can make the Bible say all sorts of things that it does not say, right? Um, are you okay with the, the light shining in on you? I see you squinting. We're going to know who sits on this side because half of you is going to be tan right? The other half will not. You guys are all in the dark, and that's all good. Um, but I want to make sure you're all comfortable. But, but listen, we're going to begin in the book of Galatians. And the reason I want to start here, um, well, I'll just preach the book, and you'll know why. But I want to start with a 30,000-foot flyover so that you can understand a little bit about this, okay? Um, and so Galatians, the book of Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul. You see that right in the text. But, but here's the deal. He wrote this to churches. Notice it says churches, plural, right? And, and, and he did this to, he's writing this book or letter, probably more appropriately, to churches in a region. And, and there's a reason because there's a real problem. And he's writing this to a baby church. 
the Apostle Paul was a church planting missionary. Everywhere he went, he went with the gospel. He went in the power of the Holy Spirit. And everywhere he went, he preached the good news that Jesus Christ died for sinners. And, and there were people that would hear that. And because the gospel is words, it's proclamation, but it's also powerful. People would hear that message. They would believe the words that are being said. They would put their faith in Jesus. And then he would disciple them and say, this is what it means to be a Christ follower. And as he would go, he would establish churches. Church is not a building, by the way, right? There are some beautiful buildings in Greensburg. I mean, I'm envious of them. I want one of them, right? Because some of them aren't doing anything in the name of Jesus. I'm just being honest. They're really not. They don't even gather there. They're brick and mortar, and they're spiritually probably dead. And, but I like them because there's room, and they're gorgeous. But that's not the church. The church is the redeemed people of God. That's, that's what the church is. There could be more said about that. But that's what it is. It's a people. Uh, the original word, and, and by the way, I don't know Greek. I barely know English, so I don't want you to think I'm showing off. Is ekklesia, which, which just means to assemble, the assembly, right? And so God's people gather. They assemble. This, if you're in Christ, is the church, right? Well, that's what he would do. He would gather people, and he would teach them. He would teach them what Christ had taught, and he would shape them and form them, really knowing that the Holy Spirit was the one doing the real power. But now, he's got to go, and we just went through the book of Acts from January up until now, and, and one thing that, that we had learned very quickly, Jesus, before he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he told the disciples, you must wait for power, right? And so they did. So he said, gather and pray, right? So they gathered, they pray, and, and Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be, right? So they go, they pray, the Holy Spirit falls on the believers. They go out speaking of the greatness of God in many different languages. Peter stands up, he preaches the gospel, 3,000 people respond to that message, and, and essentially the church is birthed right then, right there. You go into Acts 2, and you see what they do. And it's very normative life. They sat under the apostles' teaching. They broke bread together. They fellowshiped. They, they shared all the things that they had in common because they were a people, right? And so the church is, is the family of God. That's really what it is. And, but here you see church is, which means they probably had many different churches all along the region, right? So if Paul would have came to Westmoreland, you might have had the church of Westmoreland County, but there might have been some in Latrobe. There might have been some here in Greensburg and so on and so on. And he wrote this letter to them. And the tone of this letter is, is really interesting. I think you'll see that. You're going to learn more about the Apostle Paul in the upcoming weeks if you continue to come here. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time um, about talking about Paul, okay? Uh, just know this. He used to authorize the killing of Christians. His name was Saul. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus knocked him on his behind. He blinded him. He said, you got to go in and see a dude named Ananias. He had like scales on his eyes. Now he can see. He's now the great apostle Paul. Jesus said, you will be an instrument of mine. I have chosen you to bring the gospel to the nations to suffer for my sake. And he did. Once that happened, he went. And everywhere he went, he preached, he teached, and he planted churches. So Galatia was a region, and the, the churches of Galatia was actually his first missionary journey, which is pretty awesome, right? And so, so think about this. You're the church of for the city. This is one church. Well, then let's hope that God multiplies the churches. There's going to be a region of these types of churches, and Paul's communicating. He doesn't have Facebook. He doesn't have Instagram. He can't send you an email. He can't send you a text. He has to write you a letter, and so he does write that letter. And if you were listening to chapter one, well, you heard the tone of the letter very quickly, right? He, he gets in there and, and he starts to, to talk about it. But, but what's he getting into? Well, you're going to find out in the upcoming weeks, there's a group of people called Judaizers who have come into this baby church plant, right? Or baby church plants. And, and what they have done is they've brought a different message. Or maybe they, I should say, they added to the message of the gospel. And what were they teaching? Well, these false teachers were actually teaching that, yes, you trust in Jesus. Oh yeah, Paul's right. And, and, and what? And, and you got to, you know, be circumcised and, and follow dietary laws. Essentially, what they were teaching is you got to become a Jew, 
And most of these folks were Gentiles, um, not Jewish people, not, not, not worshiping the one true God. They heard the gospel message, they believed, and now they're trying to figure out what this faith in Christ looked like. Paul said this is what it looks like. He leaves to go plant more churches and to preach. People come in and say, oh yeah, Paul, yeah, he's got some of it right, but he's missed it. Let's help you. And, and it's not helping. As a matter of fact, it, it's very, very bad what they're doing because they're adding to the gospel. And so it's a real problem. It needs serious attention and quickly because it's an infestation to the church. Um, and, and, and it could destroy these baby church plants. They started off so well, as you'll hear, but then they started to derail. Speaking of infestation, my wife, we don't have like an infestation in our house. So like, oh, this is bad. Um, but she bought like these beautiful potted plants at the beginning of spring, and they were stunning. I mean, all over the porch, it was a real nice piece. You pull up around the corner, you could see them. But this one started to look a little ganky. It was like, ugh, bad. And so we're looking at it like, man, it made some water. But then it's got these little aphids. You know what these are? Anybody got green thumb? I don't. But if you do, then these little suckers get on there and they suck the life out of the plant. But they don't stop there. Oh, no, there's more. They spread to the other plants. And so before we know it, here's all these gorgeous plants with all these beautiful colors. They look healthy. They look vibrant. And you're like, man, this front porch is banging. This is nice, man. I like this. I like coming home to that. To death. To death. We contact people who have green thumbs. They're like, oh, yeah, you got to spray it with seven. you got to rinse out the roots. How do you rinse roots? I don't know. <laughs> but we tried all that stuff. And yet, because we didn't get to it quick enough, it spread. And it killed all our hanging baskets. And those things aren't cheap, by the way. They're not cheap. So I was really sad about that. Well, as bad as that is about plants in a hanging basket, the same magnified times a trillion is true about a church. Because you're a living organism. You're a body. You're a people, right? And so if you've got a little gangrene in your finger, I know I have nurses here, um, and you don't address it, you won't just lose your finger, potentially. You could lose your life. And the same is true about a church. And so Paul, he's, he's intense. We shouldn't be surprised, by the way, whenever God is moving in a powerful way within the church, we have a real enemy and the adversary, the devil, Satan. He will always work to interject doubts, discord, division, many things within the body. So we've got to stay vigilant. We've got to be alert. And this is what Paul is saying. That's why the tone of this letter is so perfect. You've got to understand that. I want you to understand the tone of the letter. It's like the, the heart of a father towards his child when the child's in danger, right? He has a deep, profound love for the church. He, he's not angry. He's, he's angry, but not at the people. He's heartbroken. I can't believe you deserted the gospel, right? And so, so get this. That's the tone of the letter. Levi, this week, my buddy Levi, this is Levi. Everybody say hi, Levi. Yeah, so Levi shoots me a message one night. I've been asking our church to be reading through the book of Galatians, right? Because I really want you to get the heart of it. I want you to get the feel of it. And he shoots me a message, and he's like, hey, who's this dude, Cephas? We'll talk about him another day. And then he goes, hey, Paul's a savage. And I was like, he is. And he's like, ask Sarah to see if that's a good use of that word in context. I said, no. I said, that is a perfect word. He was impressed that I knew what savage was. I only knew that because I do have a daughter and she keeps me up to date and up late because she's a teen. Pray for me. She's an awesome teen, though. Um, I love her. Uh, and so anyway, we must be on guard as a people. Um, Anything that would seek to compromise the gospel is, is a problem because we, we celebrate a God of grace. We celebrate a gospel, uh, a good news. We're a people of good news. But if you distort it, it soon becomes something not worth celebrating, and it soon becomes something that is not good. Anytime you add anything to the gospel, you lose the gospel, and that's what Paul's going to say. Um, the Gospel of grace, that is the core of the gospel. And you'll hear more about that today. Galatians teaches that we're made right with God based on what Christ has done rather than what we do. Right? That, that, that is the heart of the gospel. Right? It, it, and if you change that, if you try to help the gospel, I need to do something other than believe it, 
you actually lose it. And so Paul's going to explain those truths. So that's kind of like a 30,000-foot flyover. But we got to know, if we're going to talk about what the gospel is, we keep throwing that word around. What is the gospel? Hang in there. You will know without a shadow of a doubt what the Bible says the gospel is before you leave, right? Um, and so, but the gospel literally, it comes in, it transforms every aspect of our lives, right? Yes, you know, it, it brings you from darkness to light. It brings you from being lost to being saved. Uh, it, it is the news that will make you born again, right? You might have heard that in a church culture. But it, but it doesn't stop there because the Holy Spirit, is, he's, he's living, right? He is God, and he, he indwells all who believe. And he does work, and he starts to change the way we think, the way we behave, and all these different things. But that's all the fruit of the gospel, that is all what comes after trusting and believing. We do not behave and then get saved. We are saved by grace alone. Okay? And it's important that we make sure that we get that. And um, so what is the message? Christ died for sinners. That's the simplest way to say it. So if anybody ever said, say what the gospel is as simple as possible. There's more that you could add to that. Right? We could say, but it's Christ died for sinners. That is good news. Gospel means good news. That's good news. We live in a world that needs more good news. We, okay, there's the first amen. You can mark that. That's a history moment happening in For the Sea. Because I know. I, I heard it. You're already in the books, buddy. Um, listen, and that's a, that's a good thing to amen that Christ died for sinners. We live in a world that loves to share bad news. And, and it's everywhere. You don't have to look hard for bad news. You just have to be alive. It's just everywhere you turn. But you do got to search for, for good news. You really do. And the gospel is good news because if you understand rightly, you and I are all sinners. And so Christ dying for sinners is really, really good news, right? And so, but, but I want you to know, it's, it's, the gospel is everything. I think sometimes people wrongly think it's just the entryway into Christianity. I believe the gospel, then I move on to these bigger and better things. Now we do the real work. But actually, Tim Keller uh, is a, used to be a pastor in, in New York City. I've been thoroughly blessed by his writings throughout the years. He says this, listen, he says, The gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. It's not the only way to enter the kingdom. It is the way to live as part of the kingdom. It is the way Christ transforms people churches and communities in other words right so, so that's the end of his quote in other words christians need the gospel as much as those who are lost now, that's not how the gospel is presented many times it's for lost people then we get into the real serious stuff of the bible there's nothing more serious than jesus died for sinners that's as that's as serious as it gets so you don't you don't move past it you actually just move deeper into it because it will transform everything you do. It will change the way you interact in your marriage. It will change the way you interact with your neighbors, the way you interact with schools and work and your children. It changes everything to understand that. So it's important we get the gospel right, right up front, right? By the way, that is the introduction. Now let's get to the text. Ready? And you're like, oh, this is going to be long. We'll be done before kickoff. Does that sound good? That gives me time. Um, we'll be done before that. Everybody's like, I'm out of here. Um, but we love the Bible. We love preaching. We love teaching. We love to worship. We believe this is worship. We don't believe worship is just when we sing and raise our hands. Worship is so much more than that. Our whole lives are to be a worship. So Galatians 1 through 5, I'm going to read it again. And I want you to get your nose in the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, change that going forward. We'll give you a Bible. You can download it on your phone. There's many different ways, but I want you, man, many people have shed their blood to make sure you can have the Word of God in your hand, and it is a privilege to be able to do that. If you don't have it, don't feel bad. We just want to make sure you have one coming in, okay? So Paul, an apostle, we already touched on that, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Notice something. He is saying, listen, Paul is saying that I didn't get brought up by a committee, Literally, me, my apostleship, my authority as an apostle, being someone who's sent and commissioned with a message, God did that. And, 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 and listen, it's not through man nor my man. I, this is God sent news, right? He said, who raised him from the dead? All, and all the brothers are with me. So it's like you got Paul and his posse, 
right? You, you got Paul and his homeboys, and they're all there, and they're saying, there's authority with this letter. Yes, you can say homeboys, um, right? But, but notice, they're with me, and he's now, now we see who he's writing this to. To the churches, notice it's plural, of Galatia, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's our text. How do you get the gospel out of that? I think you'll see it. If you want an outline, um, here you go. God, man, Christ, response. That, that could be your outline. Okay? That is your outline. Okay? So first, we see God right in this message. Very clear. Very plain. Who is God? Well, we don't have the, the rest of eternity right this minute. Right? Because we've got the Steelers coming up. But we're going to spend our lives dedicating, teaching, and preaching who God is who God is. The gospel starts with, with God. The gospel starts with God. does not start with man has fallen in sin. The Romans road starts with that, and that's why I'm a little critical of it, even though I shouldn't be, because God's used that mightily. But it starts with the fact that man has sinned. But that's not where the Bible starts. The Bible starts with God, and so we want to start with God. God's holy. He's perfect. He's, he has no sin. He's without sin. He's altogether good. Every aspect of God is good. There's not, there's not like 99% of him is good and then this 1% that we're all afraid of. No, he is a consuming fire. He is not to be trifled with, but he's good. Did you enjoy the sunshine on the way in today? Who gave you sunshine? Did the weatherman give you sunshine? No, God gave you sunshine. Did anyone eat ice cream within the last month? And if you're lactose intolerant, maybe you had lactose-free ice cream or something else you like, chocolate, right? Did you enjoy that? Yeah, who gave you that? You'd be like, the guy or the gal at the counter. No, God gave you ice cream. And he gave you the guy or the gal at the counter who actually delivered that ice cream, right? Hopefully cold, hopefully good. God's good. And that's so trivial to, to mention God in those ways. But we ought to think like that. We ought to think every good thing that comes into your life comes from a loving God. He's perfect. Not only is God good, but everything God made originally was good. Everything, including human beings. God, God created Adam, and he created him good. The only thing he said before the fall that wasn't good is that Adam was alone. And then he rectified that. And he gave him a gift of a wife named Eve. Right? And that's your first marriage. You have a man, you have a woman. God brought them together in a perfect union. And they were to walk with God, to enjoy God. They were to cultivate all the land. And, and they were enjoying walking with God during the cool of the day. And everything was awesome. Humans were made in and are made in God's image. Right? What does that mean? You ever look in a mirror? I know these guys and gals do. The teens, we love, man, they, they got the phone there. But we all did that too, right? When I was a teen, I'm like, I got this little thing going here. And you're like, guys do that? I did that. I was paranoid, right? I just wanted people to like me, and I wasn't sure anyone did, right? But, but to be made in God's image is to resemble him, is, is to essentially be not little gods, but reflections of him right? We were to give all the praise and all the glory back to him. And prior to the fall, probably was no problem. But we're not at the fall yet. We're just at right before sin entered the world. So we see here in verse 3, notice, Paul is praying that God the Father and that Jesus Christ would shower grace and peace upon believers. Notice that. That is his character. It's who he is. He's a graceful God. He's kind. Grace, by the way, is another word that within Christian circles gets thrown around a lot like gospel, right? You got gospel-centered this, you got gospel-centered community groups, gospel-centered preacher, gospel-centered, you know, volleyball. And I mean, and, and before you know it, you don't even know what it is. Gospel what? Grace is the same way. We just throw these words around and we assume that everybody understands them, and not everybody understands them. So I want to make sure you understand what that means. What, what, what does the word grace mean? I guarantee if you grew up within church culture, you've heard unmerited favor. That's a great definition, right? What does that mean, though? Unmerited favor. No one uses words like that anymore, right? It means undeserved kindness, right? Have you ever had someone just be really kind to you when you didn't deserve it? 
That's grace, right? Or uh, you might, I like, you like little acronyms? How about grace, right? God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay, that's another way of describing grace. You could do that. But it's a gift. It's a gift. And God loves to give gifts. And as you're going to see in a moment, the reason this matters is because at the heart of the gospel is grace. It's grace. It's all grace. And if it's not grace, if it's grace and we need to do a bunch of things, we're all in trouble. I've hung out with many of you long enough to know that if it's up to Jesus and us, none of us are getting there. And this is what separates the gospel from all other religions. All other religions are you work your way to a certain point and hopefully God approves of you. But the gospel is not, it's not that at all. It's not about evolution. It's not about evolving our way to God. It's about revelation. It's about God in his kindness sends his son to save sinners. That's grace. That's good news. I need some of that in my life, right? Um, and so, so we got to make sure that we understand that, that God is the righteous, gracious creator. And because he has created all things, you and I as humans are accountable to him. And you're like, well, I don't, I don't want to be. Well, you, you don't get to choose that. We're accountable to him. We're, if you get to make something, by the way, story time, real quick. Um, when I, I didn't grow up in church at all, right? And um, my mom, we lived right across from a church, which you'd think, man, that would help. But it didn't. It's because we never went there. And so one day she wanted a break from me. You could maybe understand why. So she's like, they had this thing called VBS, right? What is that? Vacation Bible school. Doesn't seem like a vacation. I have to go to school. Okay, but that's all right. So my mom ushers me across the road on 422 and she takes me over to this place. She drops me off and I don't know any of these people and it's really freaky and really weird. And they're like, we're going to do crafts. And I'm like, I don't want to do crafts. I want to punch people because that's what I do as a young boy. We fight, we wrestle, we play football. But there I am at VBS. Woo, dynamite. And because when you say VBS, don't you hear TNT like ACDC? I do. So, <laughs> right, so there we are, and, and we're at VBS, and, and we're painting these little dogs, these little ceramic dogs, and I'm very meticulous about things, and I painted the best dog, I guarantee it. Nobody else painted a dog as good as my dog, and I wanted that dog okay so I knew someone's going to try to take it so I put a little marking on the bottom just to make sure that I could get my dog back because I know people are thieves and I didn't even learn that in church I just knew it because well I knew me and um and so I put this little dot on there at the end of the day this little guy grabs my dog I'm like that's my dog and he's like this ain't your dog it's my dog I'm like no this gangly looking thing over here is probably your dog that's my dog and he's like well I'm not giving it to you I was like I'm going to take it and he's like no, so we're, we're ready to fight, right, in church. This is bad. I don't know it's bad. I find out very quickly it's bad because here comes this lady, and she's a little bit nervous, and she's like, hey, is everything okay, boys? I'm like, no, he has my dog. He has my dog, and she's like, well, it's okay. Just take this. I don't want that dog. I want my dog. I know that's my dog. If you look on the bottom of that, you're going to see a dot. That dot says my dog, and she's like, no, it's okay. Well, I was not okay with that. So I punch him and I take my dog. I now have my dog. And I got kicked out of VBS. That's how that went. That was my first experience with church, by the way. Now I'm a pastor. <laughs> Which is fun. That's fun. I remember when I got saved at 23, a lot of people were like, huh? And they didn't even understand the gospel because you shouldn't go, huh? We should never be surprised when people come to faith in Christ, right? Why do I tell you that story? Well, A, because it's funny. But B, because I want you to know I did that thing. That's mine. God did all this. It's his. It's his. He's very jealous for it, more than I was for my dog, right? So, all right, what about man? Well, man was created, uh, perfect and in God's image, but then we become fractured image bearers, right? We are fallen. We are sinful. Man is sinful, fallen both by nature and by choice. You come out the chute broken. You're like, no, not my little Johnny. Give him time. Give, I guarantee you, you, if you don't believe that man's basically bad, then wait and have kids if you're able or watch other people's kids. You'll quickly know because they just don't have the filters, right? They'll, they'll, take, they'll punch you and take your dog, right? And, and so we're, we're, we're broken by nature, but we're also broken by choice. 
And so I want you to understand that we rebel. Our natural bent is to rebel against God. Our sins include words, thoughts, motives, deeds, all of it. And, and we're not, it's not only the things that we do that are bad, it's the things that we don't do that are bad. There's things we ought to do because it requires a response for the sake of love that we won't do. So we're not only guilty for the things we do, we're guilty for the things we don't do. And, and therefore, you and I are guilty before a holy God. You're guilty. The, the, the sentence for everyone apart from God's grace is under wrath, guilty. You're born in Adam. That's why you must be born again, right? And, and so we're lost. You see it in verse 4? We need a rescue. You don't rescue people who don't need rescued. If you do, you're weird, right? Like if you're just walking around by the pool in the summertime and people are just laughing and shooting each other with squirt guns and you start throwing life rings on them, jumping in, dragging them out of the pool, you're going to get the cops pulled on you because that's strange, right? You don't rescue people that don't need rescued. Here it says that we were lost and in need of rescue in verse 4. One core component of the gospel that people don't often like or stubbornly reject is the Bible's teaching about humanity's basic problem. And what is it? Humanity's fundamental problem is that we're sinners by choice and by nature. Therefore, you and I are subject to the wrath of God. We are under wrath. We need rescued. Jesus came to rescue us. Notice verse 4 says, the present evil age. What is that? What is evil? You know, when you think of evil, what comes to your mind? You don't have to say it out loud, although you could. It might make it fun. Um, generally, it's something that, like, movies you watch on Hall at Halloween, right? People's heads spin around, they're crawling up on the wall, and they're puking pea soup, right? That's evil, right? That's really bad stuff, right? Now it's dolls. Dolls are creepy. Clowns are creepy. They were never meant to be creepy, but you watch a movie, now they're creepy. That's evil, but actually, the Bible teaches over and over that evil is actually rejecting our creator and loving his creation more than him. Over and over, that's what we hear evil is. And, and if you look around, man, you'll just see people loving all the gifts of God, but not loving God. That's evil. We need rescued from that present evil age. We live in a world that is in rebellion against its maker. And therefore, that leaves us facing judgment from him. It leaves us facing punishment from him. Well, that's not very popular, Pastor. Come on, I thought you were trying to grow the church. Shouldn't you talk about how we can all have our best lives now and have like the best relationships possible? The relationship I'm most concerned about is your relationship with God, period. Because I think that if you, if you have a good relationship with God, that these relationships will be good. They really will be. They might be broken at times, but if this relationship's not good, no matter how hard you try, these relationships are always going to be just working extra hard to try to be good. But we're broken. We're broken. Look at Romans 3, 10 through 20 with me. By the way, if, if it takes you too long to get there in the text, that's okay. You can just listen as I read it, and that'll be just fine. Um, Paul gives a definition of humanity here in a moment, and I'm going to read it. I'll give uh, my friends who want to go to the Word, and I like that, a moment. Romans 3, 10 through 20. Here's a definition of man. No one is righteous. Nope, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable, held accountable to God. For by works of the law, or, or behaving or doing all the things set up that God had displayed, no human being will be justified in his sight. Why? Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You see it? I mean, it couldn't be more stunning of, of a description of humanity. You know, I think people are basically good. No, you don't. No, you don't. Some of you are way too young to remember the L.A. riots, but you could look it on YouTube. And if you want to see what humanity is like at its core, watch the L.A. riots. Because law was removed and everybody just started to engage in all horrific 
sin. That's us, apart from God's grace, withholding us from being who we are at the core of who we are. People are helpless in many ways, right? Uh, We're unable to recover or rescue ourselves. That's why we need a Savior. And you got to know that we're all lost, and there's no different degree of lostness. I think sometimes we think, well, I'm on, that person's pretty good. They're almost found. No, you're either in the domain of darkness or you are in the family of God. There is no, if you wanted to divide humanity into to two parties, you have those who are in Adam and under wrath, those who are in Christ under grace. That's it. There, there's no other divide. That is exactly how the world is divided up. And so we're separated. Sin separates us from God. And that's how we're born, separated. That's why something has to be done. Which brings us to the third point. Jesus Christ is our Savior. What a great Savior, right? Jesus is the perfect, spotless Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Right? You might not have a context for that. Stick with us, and I'll keep teaching. Not all those things in one Sunday, though. If, if, it, if, it didn't, if Jesus did not come and put on flesh, we're all in trouble. We all are guilty before a holy, righteous God. And we would spend eternity in a real place called hell. But Jesus came, and God sent him. You see that right in the text. Jesus came to rescue us. Verse 4. He made himself a sacrifice. See that where it says he gave himself? What a good God, right? We always think of God wanting to take, but our God gives. He gives his son. He gives that which is most pleasing to him, that which is most precious to him. The word for in that text, verse 4, by the way, F-O-R, is probably the most important word within that text. It really is. You might be like, well, I don't understand that. That's not very exciting, right? But the reason it's most important is because it literally means on behalf of or in place of. And, and at the heart of the gospel is a substitution, right? Jesus made himself a substitute, right? He, he made himself a sacrifice. The word is substitutionary atonement. It's substituting in nature. You and I deserve the wrath of God. Jesus says, no, I'll take their place. You've got to get this because if you don't get this, you don't get the gospel. It's, it's not that like, hey, I come and I sing some songs and I behave and, and I never say swear words. And if I do, I make up Christian ones like dingfod, right? Right? Because that's not bad. That's not bad. Or, or jolly willikers. Um, you, might, you might, right? And we think that's what Christianity is. No, Christianity by nature is a substitution. It's Jesus died to death. You and I deserve to die. The wages of sin is death. You and I have sinned, therefore what we deserve is death. And I don't mean, when, when the Bible speaks of death, it does not mean a dirt nap. It doesn't mean that. It does mean that, but it means so much more. Death in the Bible means eternal separation from God. It means you die physically, but you die essentially spiritually, but you don't cease to exist. You exist in a real present reality under God's wrath. What does that look like? My mind can't imagine it for more than one second before I get depressed. Jesus experienced that in our place. He received the death we deserve so that he could offer the life that he has. And you've got, man, I hope you get this. He willingly went to the cross for our sins. That's how he rescued us, right? This is the gospel. The sinless Jesus literally stood in place of sinners suffered and died for us. That word for us. Get this. That's a kind God. His death on a cross was in our place solely for our benefit and without benefit for himself. Unless you were to say, well, it makes him look glorious. He is glorious. He didn't need to do any of that. You and I are not, we're not deserving of God's kindness like that. The only thing you and I deserve is God's wrath. Well, that's not very popular. No one puts that on a t-shirt. No one hangs that placard on their wall. But it's true. And until you allow the bad news of our sin to invade the spaces of your heart and your mind, Jesus will always be at arm's length for you. You won't really care about what he did because, well, of course he would save me. I'm pretty awesome. But no, we were, you're worse than you can imagine. Some of you are really like, just like sweetie pies. But at the core of who we are, we're not. Not before a holy, perfect God. We need rescued. Just to be perfectly clear, this means that Jesus received the penalty for our sins, not his sins. He never sinned. 
so that we do not have to suffer the just penalty that we deserve. It's grace. It's a gift. It's an exchange, right? The wrath of God should have fallen on us, yet the death that we and our sins deserve fell upon Jesus. You see this all over the Bible. I'm going to give you a few texts. Don't turn to them. You will not have time. Just listen to them. And listen to the word for, and I will make sure you hear it, right? But he, this is in Isaiah 53, 5, but he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed, right? How about Romans 4.25? He, Jesus, was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. How about Romans 5.8? But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? 1 Corinthians 15.3, for I delivered to you as of first importance that I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Last one, 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but also made alive in the spirit. Get this, the gospel is not about you and I cleaning ourselves up, hoping that God will give us another chance to make sure that we do good with the life that he has given us and then behaving well and staying right so that he'll be pleased with us. That's not the gospel. It's not the gospel at all. It's about Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus. The good news is about Jesus and what he did. He did everything we could not do. He, he, he lived the perfect life that we could not live, no matter how many chances you were given. Even if we could wipe away all your stuff and say, start over, you're not going to make it to the end of your life sinless. Just not going to do it. And you can't wipe away the, the mess that you've already made of your life because it doesn't work like that. God's not like, oh, it's all right, rubbing your head like you're a you know, seven-year-old boy and saying, it's okay, try again, Johnny. He doesn't do that. So Jesus comes and he lives the perfect life you and I could not live. He then goes to the cross and he dies the death we deserve. You, you and I couldn't do this, so Christ did it. You couldn't do it any more than you and I could swim to Mars with no arms or legs. Now think about that. Could you do that? No. But let me tell you, that's actually more possible than you and I doing something to, to say that God is, okay, you've done it. We've not done it. But know this, the cross is not the end of the gospel. It's really not, because Jesus didn't stay in the grave. Notice in verse 1, God raised Jesus from the grave. Why is that important? Because if we just have another Jewish Messiah laying in the desert somewhere, our hope is futile. As a matter of fact, Paul would say we're most to be pitied. But he triumphantly resurrected from the grave on the third day. This is why Christians ought to be very joyous. I know some of us have the joy, joy, joy so far down in our heart that no one's ever seen it come to your face. But, but that ought not be. It, it ought not be. Like, like, we have a real living hope. Why? Because our God is living. He triumphantly resurrected from the grave. When he did that, he defeated Satan's sin and death. He made a way for all sinners to come. And he says, listen, all of you, come to me. Come to me and what? Have life. By the way, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have life abundantly. We have a God who wants you to have life abundantly. Everybody says they want life abundantly, but they don't go the way that God would have them go. They try all these different ways, and they find out that they might hold weight for a little bit, but they don't hold weight forever. But Christ does. He is the one where life is truly found. You might be thinking, by the way, this, this is why the gospel is so stunning. And you might be thinking, I know this already. Well, I'm hoping that you'll hear it in a fresh way today, that you might have the affections of your heart stirred for your Savior. You might love him even more, right? That you might understand even more. You're thinking, why would God do this? Well, know this. It's not because of anything we've done or could do or would ever do. By the way, that's the, that's the humbling truth of Christianity. Many people wrongly think that we're worthy of being rescued. We're not worthy of being rescued. It, we're, Christ doesn't love us because we're lovable. You might think that sounds terrible. But Christ dies for us to make us lovable. You've got to get this. He, he doesn't look at you like, like, like it's dodgeball and say, I'll pick Levi. Look at him. He looks like he could throw a ball and move and catch. He doesn't, doesn't pick like that at all. As a matter of fact, he has nothing in us that says, I want to or got to save this person. He does it because he loves to save. 
Jesus come, he, he come to seek and save sinners. We don't save ourselves, and that's good news. That's really good news. We don't add to our rescue. So let's be ultra clear here that salvation from beginning to end is God's doing. From beginning to end is God's doing. That, that still doesn't answer the question, why would he do it, right? It was all done out of grace, by the way. It just flows from who he is. God's a gracious God. This was his plan from the beginning. The more you get to know the Bible, you may already know this, but Jesus was the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world was ever, the, ever even created. This has always been the plan. The cross was always plan A. There was never another plan. It's not like God's reacting to things that are happening. Oh, we didn't know they were going to sin and rebel against us. What should we do? Holy huddle, let's go. Father, Son, Spirit, pray. Let's do, what, do we think, what are we going to do? I know, I'll send Jesus to the cross. This is always his plan. It's always his plan to rescue and to love and to show his greatness in loving people who, quite honestly, don't want anything to do with him. The gospel is all about God's love and grace to us through his son. Notice it says, according to the will or the desire of our God and Father. He didn't reluctantly do it. He willingly did it. He loved to do it right? The fact that Christians celebrate the murder of Jesus as good news is disgusting unless we understand the cross of Christ. But I want you to know that this is where wrath and mercy come together, wrath and love, and, and it really, it's where we perfectly see God's love most perfectly displayed for sinners. And so we're a people of the cross. Jesus's bloody death on the cross is all about love. Love for sinners, right? Um, so, why does that matter? Because God deserves all the glory. Notice verse 5. Grace comes down through the Lord Jesus, and as we worship Jesus, glory goes up to God. See that? Glory forever. Like, I, lo I love that, that the cross is right in the center. Grace comes down through Jesus to people, and, and as that happens, and as we receive this gift of grace, that glorifies God through Christ. Because it's all about Jesus right? And so then the last thing, what do we do? Respond, okay? Um, so you might be hearing all this. Well, that's all great news. I like that. Jesus died for sinners. I'm a sinner. I can get down with this. That's cool. Let's sing. Let's get ice cream. We might here in a moment. But does that mean, why well, do nothing? What do you do with this message? Because if the gospel is news, you got to do something with news. But we don't do anything in the way of adding to our salvation. You respond to news, and every one of you right here, right now, is responding to this news. You might be thinking, I'm not even thinking about it. Even indifference is responding. I just want you to know that. You either respond by receiving it, by faith, by trusting. I believe the message that's being preached. Or you reject it. And you're like, well, I'm not going to do either of those. To do nothing with either of those is to reject the gospel. And, and I would be praying that you wouldn't do that. The gospel requires a response. It calls people to receive the gift, right? You receive it by faith. And, 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 as, and even faith is a gift from God. No one musters up their own trust. I, I went to a church for a year as a 23-year-old lost man, okay? I was trying to get this girl to marry me. She did. We've been married for 19 years. But I was a lost guy, and, and we were a wreck. And I was sitting in church for over a year, rejecting, rejecting, not wanting anything to do with what this guy had to say, but only wanting to actually date this girl. And I, I mean, I didn't want Jesus. I didn't, I didn't want anything to do with church. I didn't want anything to do. And Jesus rescued me. He gave me sight to see. And you're going to see that in the upcoming chapters as we see because Paul's going to talk about how Christ revealed himself to him. We need the gift of revelation and we need the gift of faith and faith is a gift and it's not so much how strong our faith is that saves us but it's the object of our faith that saves us and so we put our hope and our trust in Jesus and you might be like I do but I only got like this this much faith and that's enough. It's enough and it'll grow from there but if you're saying no I trust that well, I'm scared. I doubt. That's okay. Jesus delights to save people who struggle with faith because that's all there is. You're like, no, I know this one person. They're a rock star when it comes to faith. Probably not. Probably not. We receive it as a gift. To receive it, though, means we repent. 
Oh, there's that ugly church word. People don't like that word. But it's a part of the gospel. It really is. Um, it's, you don't repent to be saved. You're saved, therefore you repent. Right? It means to change your mind. The word literally means to change your mind. I used to live my life for me. Now I follow Christ. Change mind leads to a change direction. Right? I used to run towards sin. Now I run towards my Savior. Even when I go back towards my sin, my Savior keeps calling me back. Right? Jesus said when he came in upon his earthly ministry after 30 years, he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Well, I would encourage us all to believe the gospel. Repentance and faith always go together. We're almost done. The word repent, right, is very important because many times we, we think of repent as we got to repent of all these bad things, and you do. But many times people have to repent of their religiosity. You not only repent of the bad things you do, you've got to repent of all the good things you do that you think God's impressed with. Because he's not impressed. He's not impressed with you doing these religious things so that, oh, he's like, oh, I'm really impressed. You prayed three times today. Way to go, rock star. No, he's impressed with his son. He loves, he loves his son. He's like, trust him. Don't trust in the things you do. Trust him. And Paul's going to make sure that we're laser clear on these things. So we want to make sure that we understand. So I want to encourage you to trust in Christ. So we're going to respond. And how we do that is we sing to him. What happens when we do that? Well, he receives more glory. Unless our sin is taken away, our new life with God cannot begin. This is simply the gospel. God is good. Man is broken. Christ died for sinners. Trust in Jesus. That's it. And we don't want to make it more complicated than that. So we're a people of the gospel. So I had a bunch more notes. You don't get any of that because we're running out of time. But I want you to know this. This is why, so, so what do you have to look forward as we come each week if you continue to come here? Um, we're going to go through the book of Galatians, okay? How many weeks is it going to take? You did five verses today. There's six chapters, and I don't know how many verses, but I think it's like 70-something. Is this going to like till Jesus returns? No, it's not. It's not. We just took our time today. Oh, yeah, Jake said maybe. That's a good word. Cause it, that's true. Could. Could be today. We don't know. We just want to be ready. But we're going to go, probably going to take 13 weeks. We're going to take bigger chunks. But for this morning, all I wanted to do is make sure that you understood the gospel. Because if you come next week, what you're going to hear is Paul says these people in Galatia have abandoned the gospel that they're in danger of abandoning the good news of Jesus. And he wants to make sure you understand there's no other gospel. And so what will that look like? Well, if you don't have a church family, come and find out. If you do, I want to encourage you to go back to that church and worship there, enjoy them, give your tithes, your offerings, give yourselves, right? Give yourselves. But if you're looking for a church family, consider us. If you're not convinced, that's all right. Give it time. Um, thank you. I want to pray with you guys, and then Kevin's going to come up and, and, um, and just kind of land the plane. So join me in prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you very much for the gift of salvation. Thank you for, thank you for Jesus, our substitute. Jesus, thank you for willingly living the life that we could not live, for willingly going to the cross and receiving the punishment that we deserve. Thank you for triumphantly resurrecting from the grave and calling every one of us to return from our sins and to trust in your perfect life, death, and resurrection so that we might have life with you. The good news of the gospel, the result is that we get God. Our sins had separated us from you. But now, because of what Christ has done, we can have life with you. And life with you is always better. And so, Father, I know that there, there are those here, let's just say the majority, if not maybe all, love you. But some of the, the folks that are gathered here today may feel very distant from you. Maybe it's the first time they've thought about the good news of Jesus in a long time. And so I pray that you would stir their affections for you, that they might realize how loved they are in Christ. That they might understand that you're not in love with some future version of them, but that you love them right here, right now. And even hearing this good news preached is, is, a, is a, just a, a reminder of your love. So any prodigals that might be here, I pray that they'd come home. 
any of the older brother who's in the field just always trying to earn your love, I just pray that they would know they're loved. Because you didn't love your, your, your prodigal son or your older, the older son any different. Your love is the same. Because love flows from you because that's who you are. And so, Father, we thank you for that. God, help us to grow as a people to love one another well. Help us to continue to interact with people within the city of Greensburg and even beyond and uh, share our lives with them, share the good news with them, and, Lord, that you might be just mighty to save them. Thank you for our brothers and sisters who came from other churches just to to gather with us, to worship you. Uh, I pray that they were built up and encouraged that they might be able to go back to their church and pour out there, that they might be able to encourage other people in the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, we, we, we thank you. We pray that all that we've done this morning and continue to do throughout the day and the rest of our lives would bring you much glory. We ask in Christ's name, amen.